they were really curious to know who the owner was. But I couldn't answer any questions. All I could say was this is the suitcase that belonged to this girl named Hannah Brady who was sent to Auschwitz. But I really That's from the documentary about Hannah Brady and her suitcase and how the 13-year-old Czech girl who was murdered in Auschwitz has since become one of the world's most famous symbols of the Nazi Holocaust against the Jews. You might have even read the book Hannah's Suitcase yourself. It was penned by Canadian journalist Karen Levine in 2002. Her book tells the amazing story of how that suitcase with Hannah Brady's name on it had been kept in the Auschwitz archives for decades, then found its way to a small Holocaust museum in Japan, where the curator launched a search to track down Hannah's whole story. And that led to finding her older brother, George Brady, living in Toronto. He'd spent his whole life since Auschwitz living with the fact that he hadn't been able to save his sister. The book has now been reissued for its 20th anniversary this year, and although the publisher had originally planned to throw some celebration events, they changed their minds due to the rise of anti-Semitism and the war in Ukraine right now. It, it feels like the world is pretty dangerous right now for lots and lots of people. And so that is definitely um, a big motivator and uh, for me to keep going and and talking especially to kids i'm ellen besner and this is what jewish canada sounds like for wednesday october the 26th 2022 welcome to the cjn daily a podcast of the canadian jewish news sponsored by metropia you might not know that it was actually the canadian jewish news that first broke the story of hannah's suitcase in 2001, when George Brady walked into the newspaper offices and told the staff how he'd received a letter out of the blue from Japan wanting to honor his murdered sister's memory. It was a former CJN reporter, Paul Lungan, front page exclusive. And then when CBC journalist Karen Levine read the story, she did her own radio documentary. The publisher of Second Story Press, Margie Wolf, heard it and she called Levine and begged her to write it up as a book for kids. And the rest is history. The book's since been translated and printed in over 40 languages. It's won over a dozen literary prizes. They've made it into a documentary and also a play. And George Brady and Karen Levine travel the world speaking to audiences about the Holocaust. Coming up, we'll speak with Levine about what's happened to all the main players in the last 20 years and why her book is still more relevant than ever. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Zisha Shaps in Ottawa, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. Jewish students at Queen's University in Kingston are being invited to attend a series of solidarity circles in the aftermath of some disturbing anti-Jewish graffiti that's been popping up both on campus and in the city. In fact, Hillel is hosting two support sessions this Wednesday. They want to offer a place for students to talk about the rise of anti-Semitism in the area in recent weeks and how it's affecting them. While it certainly isn't the first time Holocaust symbols and swastikas have been tagged in and around Queens over the last few years, Hillel director Yost Tarshish thinks the stuff scrawled on downtown Kingston stores is probably linked to Kanye West's recent anti-Semitic comments, which he feels may be empowering other people to express these anti-Jewish sentiments, just like that banner that was draped over a Los Angeles highway overpass saying Kanye was right. Meanwhile, a popular Canadian event company, the Megan Boys, has announced they will no longer play any of Kanye West's music at their bar mitzvahs and weddings. 
And joining me now from Toronto are the author Karen Levine and the publisher of Hannah's Suitcase, Margie Wolf of Second Story Press. Now we need to tell our audience that you owe the CJN your whole, this is all the CJN. My life, <laughs> I do. I wasn't aware. I'm sure a lot of people were not aware of the CJN uh, George Brady connection. So let's start with how did this happen? Yes. The CJN changed my life. How many people do you get to talk to who say the CJN changed my life? There you go. But it did because, um, of course, that's where I first uh, read about the story of Hannah's suitcase. And I was a regular reader of the CJN when I was a producer at the CBC. And I got lots of stories out of there. But that one was very special. And um, I still remember the moment that... I read it and thought, wow, this was amazing. I've got to do something with this story. And I had um, I had made a number of documentaries and a number of documentaries about the Holocaust years earlier and vowed I would never do another um, until I read that article in the CJN. And I thought I'm back in because this is a story that I really want to do. I turned it into a radio documentary and out of that documentary came the book. Margie, I want to bring you in here because as a publisher, you're wearing kind of one hat. And then as a listener to this show, you were wearing a different one, which is the daughter of Holocaust survivors. How did you know this was going to work, that this was going to be a story that needed to get out in the broader world in a book form? I had not expected to think, oh, I'm going to get a book out of here. But all the pieces were there. And and I thought there was uh, there's also uh, these Fumiko, the woman in Japan who ran the Holocaust Center. She worked with a group of small wings and she talked about that a bit. And so there were all kinds of pieces in the documentary that I thought could make a not just a good story, but a fabulous story. But in the end, I when I told Karen that I thought that this should be a book and I was and I was crying because I cry every time I read the book still and I've read it many, many, many times and I've told the story many times, but that it could bring something to the reader that they might not have heard it before. You you would see the worst of what could ha- would, how people can behave. And then you could see through Fumiko what could be the best. So it was, I knew it was a great book, but I didn't know that the whole world would embrace it. It has been said by Dara Horn and others, Professor Ruth Weiss, that Holocaust education is not the way to fight anti-Semitism, or not the only way, let's say. And how do you address and navigate that? Well, I, I don't disagree. I love Dara Horn's book. I think it's brilliant. Um, I don't think that Holocaust education is the only tool we have, but I do think it's an important tool. And I, I think it's a tool, it's a story that has everything in it and that kids are fascinated by. If that was all anybody did, it wouldn't be okay. But it's the thing I have to offer. And I also make an effort to talk about um, the connections between uh, the story and things that happens 
that happen in the kids' lives today, things, other genocides that have happened in the world. Um, so it's not all a story of the past. And because of Fumiko and the kids of Small Wings and George, frankly, it came to the present here too. Um, so um, I really dislike the idea of Holocaust fatigue, which sometimes gets peddled. Um, I don't think it exists for kids. What, how could it? <laughs> you know, there, there is a new generation. Um, and I, I find that the, I, I find the phrase objectionable. And how has it been for you to continue doing this work now that George is no longer with us? He passed away in, you know, before the second edition came out. I always, when I speak, I use a clip of George and a clip of Fumiko. So obviously it's not the same, not anywhere near the same as having George uh, present. I mean, often when George would speak to kids, they wanted to touch him. They wanted to just be in his aura. They wanted to see his number. They wanted, you know, it's a different experience to see and connect to a real live survivor. But we are blessed in this story that we have um, the photographs we do and the voices. So it's possible to to keep it more alive than we might otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure people who, as you said, read this 20 years ago, their parents would like to know, how is Fumiko doing? What is she doing? Is there the museum still? Can you update on us, uh, update us on that? The center itself does not exist anymore. She decided, and it was a smart decision, that it would be cheaper for her to situate herself in a publisher's office building and go out to kids rather than have kids come in, that she would reach more kids by going out. And she does. And she is traveling constantly in Japan. She tells the story all the time. Um, it is her life and she does it extremely well. She also takes um, uh, tours to Europe to um, visit the camps. Um, She's a real full-time Holocaust educator, um, and she's fine. And do the small wings exist? Well, those small wings that were in the book <laughs> are now, of course, adults. Um, uh, two of the kids who were, who were mentioned in the book are teachers themselves now. And um, I don't think the small wings exist in the same way, no. And so the replica suitcase, the one that we now know about, yeah, yeah, it's still alive and well. Uh, or the that replica you have to make new ones. Is, and she, Fumiko, travels with with that suitcase and 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 treats it um, as a treasured object. Yeah, she, it goes everywhere with her. You mentioned Margie that the Montreal Holocaust Museum has a hundred made or something. What what was that? They uh, yeah, they decided that it would be a really important tool for education. And I mean, there are probably thousands of suitcases that students and teachers have made. Um, uh, I think it was the York Board of Education had a display of suitcases that kids had made and put um, uh, what they would, if they were going to be sent away, what would they put in the suitcase? I think it's wonderful for it because it for kids because it makes them 
think about and makes them so connect with this child who they only know through the pages of this, through the pages of Karen's book, but think about if this were me, what would I do? What would I take? How would I feel? This resonates for hundreds of thousands of Canadian kids, Jewish and non-Jewish. So when the, the fact that it's still going and this is the 20th anniversary, um, you know, what were the what were your plans to to relaunch it? Why, why even do a 20th anniversary? The book had conti- has continued its popularity over the years. But like you, there is a new generation of kids who might not have read it. But the other, maybe most more important factor in releasing it beyond the celebration part was that, as we all know, the rise of anti-Semitic incidents in schools has risen dramatically over the last few years. And um, I... And I thought, well, it's time. This book had had this impact before. Let's see what it can do now. And so Karen, in fact, spent um, a lot of the spring, even with COVID, doing presentations for the Toronto District School Board, um, who uh, just before COVID, purchased 18, nearly 20,000 copies of the book to give to every grade six student going to school in the system. But Karen, as far as, you know, your your decision to stay and, and continue with a new version of it, what need is there for this at this time? Oh, my God. Uh, well, I mean, the world is a mess. <laughs> there is a visible, notable quantifiable rise in anti-Semitic incidents here in the States. There is, uh, at the same time, a smaller and smaller number of people who say they know this history as well as they should. And we have the rise of Trumpism, fascism in, in Europe. And they are, as Margie said, there is a new generation. And they are hungry for this stuff. And our window to reach them is also shrinking because there are fewer and fewer survivors. The history is further and further away. And so time feels a bit of the essence. And they're extremely responsive. And aside from the, you know, goodness uh, or or knowledge or whatever it brings to kids, I also get a real... um, Uh, as I described it before, a big jolt of hope every time I talk to kids, because it's pretty easy to feel rotten about the state of the world right now. But I'm always impressed with their interest and engagement and, and compassion. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality and customer care. I want to tell you that while you may have heard the ad that we've been running at the end of the show recently for the live event that's coming up to mark Hannah's Suitcase's 20th anniversary, the advertisers didn't have any input at all on this episode. 
Today's listener shout out goes to Nicole Alio in Montreal. And we'll end with the voice of the late George Brady, Hannah's older brother. He died in 2019. And in this interview, he shares how bringing Hannah's story to millions of people fulfilled his sister's dream of being a teacher. The book is in 46 countries. It got every prize possible on the stage, on the television. So we are getting literally thousands of letters, of emails, you know, practically every, every second letter is how it changed their life. They realized what it means to have parents, to have siblings, to have freedom. And uh, so it's a very gratifying thing that she certainly became a teacher in a way she could never imagine to be. Join author Karen Levine in marking the 20th anniversary of the extraordinary true story behind her beloved children's book, Hannah's Suitcase. You'll hear how the curator of a small Holocaust museum in Japan wound up on an incredible global journey, searching for a young girl named Hannah Brady. Sunday, October 30th at 2 p.m. at Beth Emmett Synagogue in Toronto. To learn more and register for free, visit beby.org slash event slash OCT30.